Hey everybody, I am Damien DiCarlo. Welcome to Making a Geek. Uh, today, my guest on the show is a geek in the world of computers, gaming. He is the owner of a website publishing company, is a co-host on the podcast Antic and Eaten by a Guru. He is also the writer of the book Terrible Nerd, which is available in stores now. Please welcome Kevin K. Savitz. Hello. How are you doing? Okay. Great. I'm excellent. Good to see you. Uh, thanks for being on the show. First off, how are you doing with the pandemic and everything going on in lockdown? How have you and your family been doing? We're fine. Everyone is, uh, um, I mean, we're healthy. That's the, the big the big thing. And, um, you know, mentally, okay. You know, mostly okay most of the time, <laughs> you know. Um, it's a good, really good excuse. So at first it was like, oh, great. You know, we'll, we'll stay in. We're, we're going to quarantine. We're going to watch movies. We're going to play video games. Cause there's um, so much you can do though. We're going to, we're going to hunk, we're going to hunker down and stay healthy. And right. yeah, it's been five months now. It's getting a little, um, I'm getting the itch to want to leave now. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, um, I'm, I really, cause my itch to have a ventilator down my throat is much lower. So, <laughs> so. And if, um, and if that wasn't enough, you guys had a bit of a crazy crowd recently of protesters in Portland, right? Every night still, it's like the 80th night of, of protests in Portland. Yeah, and I heard riot some, to live here. some parts of downtown don't even look the same anymore. That, yeah, it's, it's not as bad as the media covers it. I mean, I, I went down there a few days ago just to, to, to check it out. Um, you know, all of the, the protests and the, the problems um, are really within like a three block radius, most of it. Okay. So they make it sound like it's a, you know, so, some of the media make it sound like it's a terrible hellhole destruction down there. And it's just like the three block area around the federal building that people are, have, were protesting or are protesting. Um, and, uh, you know, so I think that what people are protesting for is well worth the, their time and energy. And uh, I applaud most of them for the way they're handling it. A few bad actors here and there, but. You know, well, now, now, work. Now that I've officially depressed my audience, uh, let me ask you about your publishing company. Uh, sure. Tell me a little bit about it. I know just a bit of what I've learned in your book, uh, but I don't know much more other than uh, you know just what's written. Tell me a little bit about how it started and what you do. Sure. Um, I used to be a freelance computer technology writer. I, I wrote for any computer magazine, but there used to be a thing called computer magazines. <laughs> Remember that. <laughs> It's real sad. Um, I, I wrote for any computer magazine pretty much that, that you would see on a newsstand because there used to be a thing called a newsstand and, where you could go buy these things called computer magazines. And I, I had a great time doing that for 13 or 14 years. Um, I, I wrote about just anything. They, you know, the editor would give me an assignment like, okay, I'm going to learn about some, you know, sometimes it was really within my wheelhouse. I mean, literally computer power user was would be just like, we want you to write, you know, how, how do people like take a computer and put like a, uh, uh, an acrylic window on the side of it. And just like, this is like when it was really new to have a, you know, a fancy modded out PC, that kind of idea was, was, you know, so like, okay, you know, so like bought an acrylic window and like, went to my buddy's house who like had all the tools and like, we're going to do this, you know? So, uh, and sometimes it would be really boring, uh, businessy stuff like, you know, uh, setting up a storage area network and, uh, things like that. So it was, I loved it cause it was something that was 
literally different every week. And I was always learning things about computers, which was a lot of fun. So do you, um, do you tend to build computers? Is that what you do uh, as, as a hobby or? No, I used to know how to build computers. Um, and then I didn't do it for a decade. And then I, I tried to build a Hackintosh a couple of years ago and it was the most stressful thing I had ever done. <laughs> what is a Hackintosh? Uh, it's, a, it's a PC. Basically you buy PC components and then you, uh, you buy specific components that will fool the Macintosh operating system into thinking it's running on a real Mac. So it's, it's a PC modded to think it's running in Mac? It's a, it's a PC. So the Mac OS operating system from Apple wants to run on Apple components only, right? It doesn't, it, you, you can't buy a PC and, and run Mac OS on it. They don't want that. Right. Except in a Hackintosh, you're, you're buying the specific components that will, um, that can fool the Mac OS into thinking it's running on a legit Apple computer. And, and what, what would be the benefit of something like that? To, to... It, it's supposed to be fun, although me, I did not find it fun. Like I said, it was found it very stressful. Um, it would be cheaper than buying a, uh, a Macintosh hardware for, for the same specs. You can like get a totally, you know, tricked out PC motherboard and, and with all the memory in the world and, and uh, so essentially you could save a ton of money by putting you could, yourself you could save money. Series. And then also <laughs> I thought it would be fun too. Cause I, like I said, hadn't, I hadn't built a PC in a few years and like, well, let's see what it's all about. And um, everything had changed enough and I didn't read the, uh, I was just like, I dove in too fast without, <laughs> without watching the YouTube videos and reading the manuals. And, and, and so uh, this is something that you, you, you're good at. I mean, you do this just for fun. I mean, I, well, I did, building PCs, I'm no longer good at, um, no, for, for fun. Uh, all right. So back to your question before. So I was a freelance technology writer. Uh, I did that for a long time. And then I decided to transition into making websites. Uh, well, I'm sorry, making websites. I just to publish on websites. Publish, um, okay. Uh, rather than it's like the computer magazine world was dying and frankly writing for every day for 13 years i was ready to move on so um so i decided to create a website publishing business and now my company which is called savitz publishing because i'm not creative uh we have more than 100 little websites um, we come up with the ideas for the sites we create the content for them we put ads on them um and 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 or offer downloadable things that people can buy on the sites and see what happens. So, and, and you've been running this business for, you may have mentioned this, or I apologize, but how long have you been managing this? Uh, uh, th this has been more than a decade now. So I would assume uh, you have you have to keep up with all the changes that have happened, all the different uh, ways to design a site, all the different, I mean, there has to be mass changes that you've gone through in your company. Just oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, uh, things have, things have changed from, you know, we started using CMSs that no longer exist anymore. <laughs> um, and, you know, word, and then we switched to WordPress, which has gone through just, uh, you know, a thousand different small versions that we, we have to keep up with. Um, and then of course, online security has changed and sure there's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's like riding on a river and you just kind of, kind of have to see what, what, where the, where the river's going today? What's what's Google decided is is uh, the right thing to do? What's you know what's PayPal doing today? What's the new security problem? 
And how did you start something like this? Is someone just, you know, suggested you wake up one morning and say, hey, I want to start my own web publishing business. Uh, what, what kind of started that for you? Um, someone, <laughs> so I would, for, should I turn on the light here? So I was doing the writing thing. Um, and a friend of mine was just like, you're an idiot. <laughs> oh, actually, he wasn't my friend. It was a guy who was a, he was a business guy who I had, he became my friend. Um, the day I met him, he's this like, you know, fancy pants business guy. And I told him, well, I'm a freelance technology writer. And, you know, and he's just like, you're an idiot. I'm like, hi, nice to meet you too. Uh, and he's just like, you need to have, you know, business with passive income. You should, you know, do, do websites that, that make money while you sleep. And I was just like, okay, crazy man. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I, I did have some websites, the personal hobby sites mostly, and I did have some AdSense running on them and they did make me money. I'm just like, well, he's right in that, you know, these websites, if I take a week off, they continue to be websites and people continue to visit them. So um, I decided to, at that point to try to transition out of, do less writing and see if I could do more websites that made money while I sleep. It sounds like such a scam, but doesn't it? Oh, I think <laughs> immediately. Uh, so what kind of websites would you uh, host? Or um, my, my sites are, uh, it's, uh, have many sites that offer free printable documents and templates. Uh, at there, there's an umbrella site at freeprintable.net, which uh, lists all of them. But basically, uh, free coloring pages for kids that you can, you can parents can download and print. Um, there's there's uh, printable uh, uh, business cards for small business owners, um, templates for contracts. Um, uh, um, I have, a, uh, I have a site that lets you send uh, faxes. So you need to send a fax to whatever, your doctor, your insurance company or something. You don't have a fax machine because who has a fax machine anymore? Uh, <laughs> so you go to um, uh, faxzero.com. You can upload a PDF. You can send a fax. Uh, it costs nothing. It's, it's free or $2 depending on, on what your needs are. And uh, so I have all these little sites that provide useful little services to people. And, uh, and I guess... He was right. I was an idiot. So because I <laughs> it worked, it worked out, and um, so now I, I uh, I'm doing that. So when you when you publish these websites, uh, who who were the people that were monitoring that website? That would that would be you. Monitoring the website? Yeah. Anyone that would be up there to update any sort of is there any sort of administrative controls that you would do for these websites while they were um, already up? Well, I mean, I we me and, and eventually when I, I had a team, I have a team. We created the sites and we created the content. So it's not like we're taking user submitted content. This is all high quality stuff that, that we have created. So my ultimate job is to, if, if I have one job as owner of this company, it's to vet the content that my team has created before it goes online um, to make sure it's not garbage. A lot okay. of- Okay, I get, you know, I get you now. Uh, yeah. Well, how big is your team that you have? Uh, only four employees. Okay. Well, it's, that's, that sounds like a nice operation. It's not too big and I'm sure it's, uh, I'm sure it can be overwhelming at times, but for four people, I mean, I would imagine so. Especially it's, the nowadays. it's the perfect size and we all work from our own homes. So I don't have to deal with anybody. <laughs> so when I'm in introverted geek mode, I can just, you know, hunker down. And, and uh, also, you know, when you're having a pandemic, it's, uh, we didn't have to change our office situation. Yeah, suddenly everything just stays the same for us geeks. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I noticed your shirt mm -hmm. and I know that you might be a bit of a gamer. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Uh, my, my, okay. I feel like gamer is a word that has a, 
lot of baggage um, uh, for some people. I don't, you know, own an Xbox or a modern PlayStation. I am a, a, an old school gamer. Uh, I'm into uh, Atari computers, you know, the 8-bit computers that, well, line of computers that launched in 1979, and they stopped selling in 1992. Uh, and uh, I, I one of my podcasts is about that. And I am uh, into uh, Infocom text adventure games. Yeah, tell me, I mean, I, in, in my very, very young years, I'm trying to remember what Infocom is. I do know that it was a computer-based game. Which one is that? So Infocom is a company, uh, one of, of many, uh, that well, no, I wouldn't say many, one of a few that, that had uh, text adventures or interactive fiction. So these were games that were uh, completely text-based, and it might say uh, uh, on the screen in text, you are standing outside of a White House with a boarded front door. You are next, standing next to a mailbox, and you can type open mailbox, and it says opening mailbox reveals a leaflet. And you can type take leaflet, and it says, you know, you take the leaflet, read leaflet, and it tells you what, what is written on the leaflet. So it uh, creates basically an entire uh, world that, that you can uh, explore, and uh, mostly it ends up being puzzles to solve. You gotta, how do you get into the house, right? And once you're in the house, how do you find the secret trap door? So, so, so and, oh, look, there's a dungeon under the house. Essentially, okay. we're not using joysticks. So this is just typing. This what is you're typing. Doing. This is, this is cause the first game. And this, this company ended up making about 40 games in its, its lifetime. And uh, the, this company, when, when these games were first created, the computers it was created for were mainframes that did not have graphics. So if you're going to have something fun to do on the computer, it would literally, it could not do graphics. So it was, it was, these were things that you typed on, you know, they might have a, a, a roguelike or something with ASCII graphics and Zork. So we had to basically use our imaginations at this point, yeah. is what you're saying, uh, which is, it's interesting because I, that's my one complaint with most, I'm going to be careful when I say this, most modern games. Uh, when I was on my Retro Game Night podcast, we always would talk about how games essentially today kind of hand it to you. You know, you're not really working for it. Uh, so whatever it is, if it's a puzzle, if it's, uh, you know, a certain part of the game. And, this, and of course, with the internet now, you can find almost any way around what, whatever it is that you're stuck on. But back then, I mean, I remember in the 80s, 90s, when you're playing a video game, you had to really work for that. And there was no uh, way of looking that up. You, you, you had the, the wonderful ability to buy a magazine, which would give you tips. Yes. <laughs> that was about that. as far as you could get. <laughs> with the Infocom games, uh, they had a unique, they're, they're, system was uh, they had books called Invisiclues, which were uh, books with the, these the hints to the puzzles written in invisible ink. Uh, so you're, you're saying like with a, with a marker, with, the, with, with the little marker. Yeah. Remember that. Exactly. Okay. So it would say, whatever I, how do I kill the troll? And there'd be little boxes and you could, you know, highlight the first box and it would say you know have you tried using the sword and and so and eventually it started off real general and then it would get to very specific you know you need to get the gem out of the box and then you know throw it to the troll's head and that's how you, you know or whatever it was i made that up um so yeah that was that was the the uh the the, the hint book way of doing it you know before google so how did how was that growing up and playing a game like that um, obviously you didn't have any graphics. You were using just your intellect and your mm -hmm. ability to word process. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that was, that was fun in itself. You were able to 
I don't know if I want to say choose your own adventure, but you could navigate with, with words and commands how you would go. How did that affect you as, as a young person playing a video game well, like that? That was the kind of game that appealed to me. Um, I mean, of course, there were, there was games with graphics on the 8-bit computers. You could play your, you know, Pac-Man and your Frogger and, and all that sort of thing. But I liked the, the text-based games, um, honestly, because I could play them at school <laughs> in math class when I wasn't at the computer. You know, you're just like, you're sitting there and you're just like, you know, how, how do I, how do I get the, the, through that, that door that with the locked door, I don't have a key, you know? So you can puzzle it out. Um, it was a good distraction during classes that I <laughs> didn't want to pay attention to. You didn't have to worry about any sort of loud sound effects or noise. To, right. right. <laughs> I didn't have to have a computer. You're just like thinking about like how, you know, what's the solution, you know, to, to solve, figure out the puzzle. And it was kind of like a work in progress, really. It wasn't something that you would just beat in a day or. No, know. some of these games could take um, weeks or sometimes months to, to solve, depending on uh, how hard they are. Some of them are less fair than others, but my, my buddy uh, Carrington and I are playing all of the Infocom text adventures for our podcast eaten by a Gru. In fact, we just finished, I, I just finished the last Infocom text adventure that I hadn't played yet, uh, which was a, a horror game called the lurking horror, uh, which is a Lovecraftian uh, style uh, 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 hor uh, horror game. And um, literally, I, mean, I just, I had this, uh, we haven't recorded the episode yet, but you know, there, there's monsters in the, in the, in the school and you have to like figure out how to, how to get by them and, and defeat them and, and whatnot. And literally I, I was uh, sleeping. I was, you know, was like four in the morning or something. And, and my brain was just like, told me the answer to one of the puzzles. Was like, Oh, here's how you defeat this monster. And it's like my, it's like your, your brain is like working on it when you don't, you know, you're in the shower or whatever. And uh, I woke up, you know, I, it just like couldn't wait to get to the computer and and see if my solution was was uh, that's, the that's, one that the author had intended that's what made it yeah exactly you, you're you're thinking first when you're playing it as a gamer I, I mean i use that term gamer i don't know if we called it that in the 80s and 90s but uh a gamer where you're you're trying to beat it you're trying to win or your your goals to to win but mm -hmm. as as an adult or looking back you're like let me think like the programmer let me think like the, like the author what is he thinking here and I right. could see that that's what you were doing. You were probably contemplating that. And I would say that those kind of games would be um, definitely more of a thinking kind of a game. I mean, yeah. you're, you're kind of left thinking when you're not playing it. When, when the, the programmer, when the game designer d does it right, I feel super smart for figuring out their puzzle. <laughs> you know, I haven't, I haven't done anything. I mean, they, 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 they created a puzzle and I've, I've, I figured out their puzzle, hopefully. But I ended up feeling like, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm smart. I got past the troll. I, I made it to the, to the, into the secret chamber. Like, okay, you know. Um, but it's, it's really more of a, there's a level of satisfaction that I get from that that I have never gotten from jumping at the exact right time off the platform to get to the mushroom. Yeah. I, I totally get that. I get and that. I get I get that people love those games, and I'm not disparaging them. But I stink at them. Uh, I've always stunk at them, and more than that, I don't find them that fun. So, so platforming games like Super Mario aren't your no, yeah. cup of tea. 
not my thing. Yeah. So you, I would say you're kind of more, if I may be so presumptuous, puzzle games, dungeon crawlers, RPGs? Um, somewhat. I like roguelikes. Uh, there's another game called uh, NetHack that I have been playing since 1989, and I've never won it once. <laughs> it's a, Still it's a, trying since 1989. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Um, so, yeah. 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 There's some games that, that that was the reason how I started Retro Game Night, that uh, we had a bunch of friends come over. We would you know just hang out for the night, and we would want to play video games. But it, when you're in your 30s and you're starting to figure out that you know, there's a sense of nostalgia with these old games. I, I kind of want to pop that on and, you know, let's, let's, let's try it. Uh, you start realizing so many games that you left uh, unfinished that you, you just couldn't beat, uh, whether it was timing or just difficulty. Um, so I, would, I, I joked about it where I would keep doing this until I got old because, like, really old. I, I just would keep playing these games because there's so many that were so hard. Um, so I would say that that's, that's kind of fun. I mean, even during this uh, lockdown and pandemic to take advantage of your time to really catch up with, you know, your, your old catalog and finally get to check off your list that you were able to beat it. Yeah, absolutely. Does, does your family play games too? Like the old ones, Infocom and Atari? No, my uh, daughter is 13 and she doesn't care about Infocom games at all. I can sometimes... Oh, absolutely. Sometimes get her to, to, to sit down for, for some, some Star Raiders or, uh, or some, some Pac-Man or Frogger or something, something like that. Yeah. Um, she's, she enjoys them. Was that a, a deal breaker for you when you found your significant other that you have to like video games if I'm going to be with you? <laughs> Is that part of the deal? <laughs> no, I mean, no. She, she just, uh, um, no, that, that, that she doesn't hate. None of them hate games. It's just not their go-to right activity. May just not be their thing. Well, that, my my daughter is she's she loves games actually, but she's not playing the games I'm playing. She is playing, uh, she's playing Minecraft, um, and uh, whatever the, the Sims. She loves the Sims. Yeah, those are very very yeah. good. I mean, and and there's a sense of uh, satisfaction with those too. But I think it appeals to a different kind of audience, different different mm -hmm. generation. Um, but I, I, I'm wondering in your opinion, what it would be like, I mean, you had the experience with your daughter trying some Infocon games, but you feel that that would be collectively the experience for every young person diving into these old games. They would these old games are not, <laughs> are not for modern players. They're really not. I, I, I care. My, my buddy who I podcast with and I discuss this is like, are, are, are these games that something that someone could pick up today and enjoy? Um, and the truth is for most of them, I think that would be a stretch. There are a bunch of modern interactive fiction game makers today, um, who have picked up the mantle and are making this type of game, but making them better. I mean, basically after 30 years of the, the, using 30 years of, of knowledge in that have been created in, in game making space. Um, you know, game, so the, the, there's, there are new text, there, there are contests where people create new games every year and some of them are, are incredible. And I don't want to say, I don't want to say they're easier, but some of them aren't puzzle based. The Infocon games were very puzzle based. Some of the new modern interactive fiction are not as puzzle based, but even the ones that are, are 
fair are, you know, are, are just more fair. And I don't want to say fair. easier. I don't, like I don't want to say, say fair. like, like you said, they, they gave the, some of the games just to give it to you. Right. Um, I want, I don't want to say that at all, but just like, they're just more fair. You know, they don't expect you to take these leaps of logic that are, are, uh, no one would ever make. What, you know? was, were some of the games back then in Infocom and uh, like, let's say Atari, were, were they impossibly hard? I, I, my memory is a little foggy on how hard they were. S- some of them are absolutely impossibly hard. Because yes. I know that that was a thing. J- Japanese desi- designed it that way, that they, they found uh, joy in the fact that it was near impossible where you want to slit your wrist and it for me when I covered a lot of the NES games was, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just impossible, impossible. Right. Even Some of them are impossibly hard. The, <laughs> the one I just played now, uh, Lurking Horror, I found very fair, and, and there was a couple of puzzles that were real tricky. And um, but like once I figured it out, it was like okay, you know. It, but you know, back back in the day, um, if you were paying forty dollars for a game. Uh, which might be like equivalent to say eighty or ninety dollars in today's money. Um, man, you wanted some value out of that, right? And so, if if you could literally take six months to finish a game because you were puzzling through all the the, the puzzles and the mazes and stuff, then you got your money's worth. Yeah, you could right? get money's worth. I mean, you know potentially or or you you hated it you put it away and you put it away after a week because it was too hard but throw it across the room (laughs) yeah you may have gotten your money's worth uh in in uh that you know in a a massive level of satisfaction after a year or whatever of yeah of finishing the game so i would say that that would be the the that is the level of the satisfaction you get is when it is hard and you know you have to work for it and you crack the code so to speak or Mm -hmm. or you you finally beat it Whereas I feel the games today are, while they're not all bad, um, they're just, I find myself saying, this would have been just a fine, like, like a good movie to watch. Like, why did I have to invest my mental power to really do not, I did very little much in the game is what I, I would feel. And the games back then, you'd have to ignite your imagination. You'd have to use memory skills. You would have to do a lot, sometimes homework you know if you want to look it up in a magazine or a book mm-hmm. so there was a lot of activity involved with that whereas nowadays i feel it's like i said it's it's handed to you you get the experience sometimes it is cool and surreal whatever it is whether it be vr or you know a brand new uh game from the latest consoles but i feel like the games back then just it kind of uh, it, it made some it made a different kind of person out of it and i feel like maybe the the, the people today or maybe a little bit more transformed in a different direction. And I feel that that was interesting to cover on my podcast where it was just, I, I, I kind of miss those days, but I think that you can't appre- fully appreciate it unless you're from that era. That'd be true. Now I, I noticed that in your, I believe it was your podcast. I, I don't remember now that you are dubbed as an Atari historian. Yeah. Um, on my other podcast that we haven't talked about yet, it's called Antic, the Atari 8-Bit Podcast. And for it, I have interviewed uh, more than 400 people now uh, who did things with the Atari 8-Bit computers. Uh, the designers of the machine, uh, programmers, people who 
published the magazines, uh, people who wrote the books, uh, a lot of uh, programmers and a lot of company CEOs and managers and, and things uh, around this this ecosystem that was built around this particular popular computer system. So with with that kind of a history involved, I'm sure that that's, is that all just from your experience growing up or having with, or did you well, I, do a lot of research with this? Sure. I mean, I fell in love with this machine, the Atari 800, when I was in middle school. My dad brought it home and it was like my first love. Um, and I never stopped loving it. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, you, you, whatever, you had your, 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 your game, you, you sold it, you gave it away at the, at the flea market or whatever. Uh, and then 20 years later, you have nostalgia and, and, and pick it up, pick it up another one, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. With this particular machine, I never stopped having fun with it. I still have my dad's original Atari 800. Uh, so what was the question? I'm sorry, I was yeah. waxing this. No, I'm just wondering like how, how that played out for you with the, the fact that you are dubbed a historian of Atari. Was that yeah. just from experience or is it a lot of research involved? Well, I think it's all, all I mean, every time it, de facto historian after doing all these, these interviews and, t and talking to, to these people, um, many of which have had really never been interviewed before and just finding stories about what it was like in the, to be part of the early microcomputer age when, you know, having a computer on your desk was literally an amazing, astounding thing. So tell me a little bit about your podcast, uh, specifically Antic. Uh, so you would interview people that were in the industry that made the games, or who were these people? Sure. I mean, I, I've interviewed many different types of people. The first person I interviewed uh, was a, a man who was the publisher of, uh, of a computer magazine devoted to the, the Atari computer. Just so, so we talked about magazine publishing and, you know, hiring writers and, and all that uh, and I've talked to uh, uh, CEOs of game publishing company uh, companies. Like uh, there were Synapse published all these popular games, and I talked to the CEO and and what was it like? What were you thinking about as a CEO? I've talked about the programmers who created some of the most popular games. Um, I've talked to people who wrote the books. You know, there was I have a I have a library of books about Atari computers, and I found some of those those writers and and uh, talked to them. Um, I uh, talked to uh, people who created voice synthesis uh, hardware and software um, and uh, devices, you know, the there was this early trackpad thing uh, called the koala pad, um, where basically you could draw on this pad and your, the picture would show up on, on the screen. It seems completely, we all have that now in, in, in the you know, trackpads and things, but this was a Noops' new one. So I talked to the, the man who invented that. And how would you meet people like this? Would well, this would be at, at conventions or? Um, primarily research on research online, you know, like, okay, who here, 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 this koala pad was interesting. It, it was an interesting device who created it. And then I find them. Just find, yeah, just track yeah. them down. <laughs> and how would that, how would that feel? I mean, you, you have such rich history with these uh, games that it would now, now these are the people that, you know, you're meeting people that essentially were responsible for your, your young childhood, you know, growing up sure. and playing these games. I mean, it must have been, you must have had a thousand questions. Sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes the questions, I mean, my basic question was, 
wow, thank you, <laughs> you know, right. for creating this neat thing. Um, uh, sometimes the question is a comment of, um, I'm sorry, I pirated your, I pirated your thing. I, I didn't buy your, your software. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, yeah. Forgive me now after all these years. Um, right. I, I totally get that. I um, recently, actually, one of the last shows we did for our retro game night, we interviewed the makers of the X-Men animated series, and that was a huge thing for me personally. I felt like the, what you're describing, I had a thousand questions. I had so much to say, but at the end of the day, it was just a big thank you thank you for what you've done because you don't realize what you've done for my childhood, you know, whether it's video games, TV shows, you know, that plays such a huge role where for that person, it just, you know, it's just, it's a job and they did their very best with it. And yet for you, it played out very differently. So. Right. And for some of them, I mean, some of them loved it and they love to talk about it. And for some of them, it was a job. Absolutely. And they're just like, why, why do you want to talk to me about this? stupid thing I did in an office when I was 20, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I programmed that game, you know, they didn't pay us very well, you know, the end. I mean, so <laughs> some of the people, it was a job. And for some of the people, it was the best job they ever had. Um, I know that some programmers and some gamers, um, no, not gamers, just the programmers that make the games would, I know some stories we covered, I, I believe one of them might have been one of the Metroid games where the teams that would design these games would not sleep for, for, for days, for days mm -hmm. to, to push, you know, to meet the, the due dates and the, the demands. Right. Um, I would say that almost any, any person that is a designer or a, some sort of creative person is going to lose sleep over this. So I know that there's some programmers that when they say, oh, you know, I just you know, I just whipped that out. I mean, for us, that is a lot, a lot of time and dedication that we don't see behind closed doors. Sure. And they do that constantly. And, and that's just a turn and burn for them. But, you know, for right. us, we but see for the, the for the Atari games, most, most of these games were made in a very different environment before crunch time was invented. Um, yeah, sure, certainly they had deadlines, but a lot of these games were made by one person. It wasn't a team. It didn't require sound engineers and, and, and musicians and, and, you know, whatever. It was just a, a, a guy, usually a guy, um, who was programming and figuring it out by himself. So, which largely the game industry has moved away from, although certainly there are uh, indie games uh, now. And, and that, I think, some of those indie games and, 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 and one and two people team games get kind of gets back to the... the original early ethos of of some of the those early games that that i enjoy how did you feel when they started releasing other consoles when when did you when did you drop off k when did you say that's <laughs> i'm done i'm done with these games now i mean because oh. you had 2600 right was that after 800 I, actually i never had a 2600 i had the, the atari 800 i had uh, an intellivision um that might have been when i dropped off no and then then i i, I had a pc um i had a PlayStation 1, which uh, my wife and I bought basically because we wanted to play Area 51. It was just like a... a, a it was the thing, I remember It was that. the thing, yes. <laughs> we bought, I mean, I had some other games, but we bought it just to play Area 51, which we did endlessly. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know. Stuck, how, stuck in that 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 area. That area. How, how did you feel when when arcades were becoming a thing? I mean, did, did, were you not into that when they came out in the eighties? Um, I was I was into it. Yes, absolutely. And then those, those were games that weren't always made for console, right? There were some favorites that 
would only be on the on the cabinet absolutely right? and, and some of them many of them ended up being ported to the computers and sometimes the ports weren't that great our, our arcades were great um you know it was social you get to hang out with your, your friends and and uh be in a loud environment free of adults and uh, away from the, the adults right yeah right <laughs> you spend all your allowance every last time um yeah. did yeah. you did you feel that that era is really what made the games that we know today i i I'm going to say this by saying my own answer first, but I feel that hmm. the influence in arcade uh, in the industry back in the 80s and 90s, I think is what tailored the games that we know today because I think a lot of the games that we saw back uh, starting with Atari 800 were a lot of the thinking games and then it became just, I just want to put a quarter in and bash some guy's face in, you know, in, in a combat game or a fighting game. And I started to feel that that changed things with gaming. Would you agree? I think so. I think the, the, I mean, the types of games that have been available in arcades over the years has certainly changed. It, it started off um, with you put in your quarter and see how far you could go, right? Uh, you know, how many times can I get the frog across the, the, up to the top of the screen? How many dots can I eat? hundred dollars so, worth. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and then, I mean, eventually it went into what I think you alluded to, the, a lot of the, the fighting games which was never my thing, but, you know, some of those were basically, you know, quarter eaters, you know, you're, you're, not, you're playing, the, playing the Simpsons and you want to keep going, all the quarters, going. all it takes, you yeah. know, to, 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 to go a little bit farther, um, gauntlet, uh, that sort of thing. And some of those games, I mean, I have some friends who own arcade games now, they have, you know, have them in their, in their basements, whatever, I have a couple. Um, and some of those games aren't fun when it's not costing you real money. You know, yeah, it's just, it was part of the excitement was I, I'm running out of quarters. <laughs> yes. Slowly, but I can't. Right. Yeah. I mean, Gauntlet, Gauntlet is a classic. It's a, it's, it's a fun game and you're, you're shooting, you know, the, 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 the baddies and, and going, going down the, down the levels of the dungeon. But man, when you don't have 25 cents riding on it, it's, it's a little less fun. Um, and then moving on, I don't know, then, then I feel like games, if you go into arcade today, largely pre-COVID when you went to arcade. Um, you know, largely what I see a lot of games there are, are now are redemption games, which is a whole nother kind of game where, you know, you, you put in your, your token or your, your quarter and you're hoping to get out tickets that you're going to go get a stuffed animal for. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. Redemption games. And I feel that that, while it's not bad, I've had, I've had my fun. I feel that it doesn't... Um, I don't know. I have a real problem with redemption games when it comes to just the only thing that is available. I guess what my, my problem is I, I do miss an old school arcade. So I feel like when I'm there and playing these games for a ticket or a to not even nowadays, now it's on a card, but like you get these points and I don't feel that I am playing a game that I want to go home and keep playing. Like I feel like it was just for, it was subjective. It was just for, taking a date out or was having fun with someone and then that's it. And so you go back to do the same thing again. But what I liked about arcades back in the day was this is where you would go to challenge your friends. This is where you would go to also use, uh, you know, certain references, whether it be comic books, movies, like, Hey, there's this game based on that movie or this, this comic book, this is exciting. Uh, I remember playing, I think it might've been one of the alien games based on the, on the film. So when I was mm -hmm. a kid, that was exciting because, you know, I, I loved the movie mm -hmm. and now, yeah, I get to 
play it. And so for that, it was more, uh, had more of a theme, I guess you could say. And I think some games still, arcades, they still have something like that when it comes to a Dave and Buster, you know, any of those kind of places. You know, racing game is a racing game and that's always going to be fun if you're into racing games. Yeah. But I I guess what I also feel was distinctive with each of these games and specifically in the 80s and 90s was they all were so different from each other. Mm-hmm. And you mean you had a game like Dragon's Lair to Gauntlet. And I mean, like polar opposites as far mm-hmm. as graphics. But I feel that a lot of the games that I see are all kind of the same. You get a, a Mario Kart arcade game, okay? And it's very much like the motorcycle game that's right next to it. <laughs> and right. the graphics aren't that much different, you know? And yeah. I feel like it's just a template being There's used. A homogenization, to be sure. Right. And then, okay, and then... Hmm. Back, back in, the, in the 80s or whatever, you play your game and there would be a huge screen and a, a unique controller, be it a, a, a wheel or, or whatever. And it was a unique experience that you couldn't really take home. You could play games at home, but you're, you're, you got a little screen and it, the graphics were a lot more blip bloop. Um, right. and, and now, I mean, your game experience at home is equal to or as good as what you're going to get at the arcade so Pretty much, yeah. so w- why what's would the what's the, the benefit of the arcade and there still is because you know there's a guy doing you know pouring beers and, and your friends may be there but it's it's a different experience it's not right. as separated as it as it as it was do you think that console games uh have taken away that sense of nostalgia for arcades like you were just saying like they essentially you did say that but i, I mean like the, you go to an arcade now and you can't not only compare the game but you you can't take it home and you don't really want to because there's something better at home there's something right. more graphically here's enhanced what, here's what i'm worried about for for people who are really into today's modern games you got your xbox uh and your playstation 23 or whatever they're up to now um <laughs> I'm worried how their nostalgia is going to work out because I can always play Frogger on my Atari 800. I pop in the cartridge and it works. But people who are playing the games today, in in 10 years and 20 years, when those services go offline, um, and then suddenly the the servers aren't there to to play Minecraft or or to to download the the, the latest updates for whatever game you're playing. Um, I'm, I'm worried that, that a lot of the games that people enjoy playing today are going to get lost. Um, There's no the, nostalgia, in my opinion, with them. Well, it's a turn and burn situation. There will be. Oh, They're not nostalgic for you. But if you're 13 or 20 years old or, or what any age, and you are super into this, ga- this, this game, you know, when, when, you're, when you're an old guy at 40 or 50, you're, you're going to have nostalgia for what you did as a, as a, as a, as a youth, right? And you're going to want to go back and play those games. And maybe those games aren't going to be there because the company went out of business and it took its i I see what you're saying yeah things change once servers go down and suddenly you want to relive that but you can't right yeah um in which case then i feel bad for you know people later to be nostalgic it will be a lot more difficult and i think that part of that is the experience of being online and you know mmos or whatever right um that to me is one of those type of games where yeah, they are time suckers, but it does kind of emulate that experience old school to me where it was like you, you, you got into something, you got into it deep. But I think that might be a little too far, which is why I don't play those because it's a bit more immersive to the point where it just it takes away from your everyday life. Whereas I feel the games back 
you know, uh, you know, eighties, nineties, it was just a little bit more, it, it was in small doses, but you, you, you still worked for it. It didn't take up your entire life. Right. Yeah. And you know, so I, I, I like, would say people, yeah, I mean, both both are valid for if what you're into. I mean, now that, that type of game might be called a casual game, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, have you, takes a, have you ever made a video game? I, I forgot to ask you this earlier. I don't know if you did. Um, I, I Nothing good. <laughs> I, I did, uh, when I was a kid, I did a couple of text adventure games um, that, that uh, I created. One of them still I managed to not lose over the years, and... Uh, so it's it's out there on, on on GitHub if someone wants to play it, but you know, it's not very good. You you just never got into wanting to actually publish or because I know there's a market for that, right? Even nowadays. Oh sure, sure. No, I mean, it was never a. You, just, I, you didn't I, feel I, that I enjoyed about it. I, I wasn't just not that good at it. I put my my efforts into other things, you know, like yeah. writing, and and I, I I I've I have been a competent programmer, but not so well so good a programmer that i felt like i could you know create a were, were a lot of these games game. based on the 800 engine is that what you were using yeah yeah that and the apple too okay yeah and so i there goes my next question answered I, I i guess it's just so much work and time that if you're not a naturally born talented programmer into it then i guess it would be a lot harder and to buy out that time because it takes a lot of time to do it yeah, yeah all the design, all the, the, I mean, at this point, I would say it's, it's a lot easier maybe because you don't have to put in, you know, music work or, you know, all these other things that you would have to have done in the later generations, but still, still a time sucker. Sure. And some and people who in, still enjoy creating games for those old computers, it's much easier now than it ever was before because you can sure. code the game on your modern PC or Mac, cross compile it. It takes literally a fraction of the time that, that it used to and there's all sorts of tools and, and things that that uh, were unavailable to the people using original hardware at the original time so yeah do you have a favorite video game that you've ever played mm. depends on my mood i guess um there there was there was one on the atari 800 uh called Jumpman, which was a, a platformer which i i've already disparaged platformers but um this was this was a good one because uh, I, I think it was it had thirty different levels with different puzzles on them. Uh, we'd have to figure out how to pick up the little treats that you're supposed to pick up on every level, and uh, it was a particularly strong platformer. Um, yeah. So that was the only platformer in the last you'll ever play. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far, but. Um, it, it is one of my favorite games. Um, yeah. I, what about you? What's your favorite game? Oh man, I, I, I think I would answer the same way. It's kind of on the mood, but I think for me, it was it was an RP. It, it's it's going to be the typical answer you've probably heard from guys my age. I think it. it I'll give you two. So one is Final Fantasy VII for the PS One, sure. and that was only because that was my first role playing game I've ever played. I mean, unless you want to count Zelda, but, mm -hmm. um, and that would be my other choice would be the very first Legend of Zelda. And that for me was about the experience of uh, working for it, like mm -hmm. to, to the 10th degree. This was now you're, you're not only working for it on a normal, like a platform based game or trying to beat the bad guy. This is, you're, you're trying to beat the story, but you're trying to live through it. And you, mm -hmm. and you put a lot of energy into that. And that's a lot of time thinking about it when you're away from the game. 
So for those two games, the music too made a big, big thing for me. And um, I think that, that that may differ with with you is you didn't need that to judge the game to be amazing. But for me, that that was very important. I think I grew up in that in the 80s and 90s where it was very uh, uh, profound to have really good video game music. And, and Zelda and Final Fantasies were, were known for that. Um, I think that played a huge thing for me. So uh, music and gameplay would probably be the most important things for me. Sure. Excellent. A friend, when, the, when I had my, my PS1, a friend bought me as a birthday present or something, Final Fantasy VII, and I tried it. I couldn't get into it. Couldn't, I don't know, wasn't, wasn't my thing. I, I gave it a small effort, but. The bar was raised a little high for you in a, in a different way. I think <laughs> Maybe. It, or just it was wasn't, yeah, or it just didn't click with me. I don't know. Yeah. But, and that yeah. says that says a lot about the generations. And I, you know, I was born yeah. in the '80s, but um, I think that kids like me growing up, when I did try an Atari game, whether it be 800 or 2600, it was cool. But I don't think it was as cool as it was for you. And that's what made the huge impact that it did. And then it just so happened to be. Then my sure. mark was during the late '90s. Sure. Yeah. No. It, for for it was amazing that exi- existed at all for me you know, for, for you. So like, Oh, here's another game. Oh, this one's kind of old. <laughs> you know, Right. You came at the dawn. We, of the we, age we, we, we went, a, a we went from, right. We went from, you know, playing tic-tac-toe and, you know, tag to, Oh, we could sit inside. And, and, and it really wasn't games. that much of a gap. Like I was born in the eighties, but you're not that far off from me. And it, it, it no. changed so drastically that it was just amazing how we progressed in video games to the point now where it'll take me to my next question. I'm dying to ask you, how does a person like you that loves Infocom, Atari 800, mm-hmm. what do you think about VR games? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I was going to, you, you said it's come so far and I was just thinking like, and, and where is it going to go next? You know, I mean, screens are getting bigger, screens are getting smaller. Um, and yeah, and then there's, you know, VR and Oculus and all that stuff. And I don't know. I've, does, it, I've, does it scare you? <laughs> does it scare me? I, no. It practically scared me. Okay, so when I tried it, it was so unreal that I think it was something I had dreamt of. <laughs> One of my favorite films when I was a kid was uh, the original Tron movie. Uh-huh. And a sure. sequel I liked as well. But that was like the concept I was thinking of was, wouldn't it be great to be stuck in a video game and do what you normally know what to do, but you're there. And so I feel like the same concept. With, and then you put on your VR headset, and you're like, no, that's a bad idea. Right? right, right. So I put it on, I'm like, oh, this is what it feels like. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And I, I had, I can't remember which game it was. Um, might have been one, it was one of the Resident Evil games that came out for the VR for the PlayStation 4. And it was a little too real to where it wasn't, it wasn't scary. It was just, the I, I felt almost there was a form of PTSD that came away from mm. it, where it was like I, I lived it, and it would, did a too good of a job of tricking my brain into thinking that this was actually happening at some point in my life, my real life. So it was just one of those things that I had to ask because if you had tried it, if it if it did anything weird for you, like it did for me. Well, honestly, I mean, when I've tried it, it's been at at. at conventions and things where there's you know something on on display that you can you can try and i remember particularly playing this one game it was sort of a it was sort of a tetrisy thing i put on the the vr headset and get into the little roped off area so you don't whack into people and it was it was some sort of putting boxes into other boxes i don't know what the game was called um and 
I mean, it's the first time I'd played it. I wasn't good at it. I probably could play it for 10 hours and still not be good at it. But I, I felt more, more than the, the, the technology, which was amazing and, and 3D and, sorry, uh, and looked, looked amazing. I felt like I'm in a public place and people are watching me and, it, and, it, and, and, and I knew I sucked at it. And, and it felt like being a kid in the arcade playing Dragon's Lair and, you know, with other people around is like, oh, I'm not good at this. I'm going to get to the second stage and then die, you know, and then, but I know that the the guy who can get to the last level is here, you know, snickering at me, you know, it, it felt, yeah. it was more of a social thing. Social of, thing. So yeah. an embarrassment, just like, oh, you know, I, I can, I can play video games at home on, on, on my, you know, Nintendo or, or my Atari 800 and, and if I stink, then that's fine. No but, one has you know, to. It's, no one has to know, <laughs> except for, for my kid, <laughs> and 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 she knows I stink. So, um, but yeah, doing it in a public place with the with the VR headset and everything, it was just like almost embarrassing. I, I put I put my VR headset on my dad um, once, and that was just kind of like, uh, <laughs> you know, my father. He comes from the fifties, so to yeah. see his face was just priceless <laughs> so yeah. for me i'd like to see what it does to people of a different era different age different way of thinking and uh if like i said if i can't if i can barely handle it i just wonder what other people feel like from another generation so we'll it, like you said we don't know where it's gonna go from here i i technology is growing every day there's more and more things we're getting and i'm i'm personally excited to see where we go but it's not mm -hmm. something that i think is going to be very easy for us nostalgics to just jump in on <laughs> right uh, it was, it's been a pleasure, uh, Kay. Before I go, I wanted to make uh, your book known here, which was very good. Terrible no nerd, terrible nerd. Tell me what it's about. Just a quick wrap up. What what it is? Uh, this is basically a, a, a little memoir. It's uh, my story about being growing up a, a, a geek in the eighties. Um, talk about playing playing with the the, the Atari computers um, and uh, different projects I, I worked on um, it basically is a little memoir about what it was like to be one of the first uh, generation to have a computer that fit on a desk. You were a pioneer in the experience of gaming, really. I mean, maybe not in design, but you are the type of people that make, that fed the imagination for the creators today. Because while you weren't the creator of it, like we said, for most of them, it was just a job. But for you, what it did to you on a personal level, uh, those are the type of critiques then later that made the games that were greater with each mm -hmm. de you know, decade. So I, I appreciate the book. I, I gave it a, a whirl and I read it. It's very good. Um, mm -hmm. Where can folks find this? Is this, because uh, I got this copy from our mutual friend, Greg Goebel, who mm -hmm. designed and, and made composed the music to Making a Geek, by the way. Excellent. Cool. He, uh, uh, he is a... Incredible musician, and you are lucky to have his uh, fantastic guy. Work. Yeah, yeah I, very talented. Hopefully, after COVID's done, I was hoping he could perform uh, where we do our live show. So, oh, we'll excellent, see if we can do that. <laughs> Fun. Um, the book is available on, on Amazon and uh, or or your your local fantastic. friendly neighborhood friendly neighborhood bookstore. Fantastic. Uh, definitely read it. Uh, really great, great read. If you're a, a nerd of of computers and gaming, uh, highly recommend it. Um, before we go, Kay, where can people find you? Where can folks find you on social media? 
Sure. Uh, on on Twitter, I am at Kevin's. Sav uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm at K Savitz. I recently changed my Twitter name. Uh, K A Y S A V E T Z, um, and I am at uh, the Eaten by a Guru podcast and Antic the Atari Eight Bit podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Damien underscore DeCarlo, uh, making a geek underscore podcast. Uh, K, fantastic. I, I'd love talking with you. We, we could talk for hours, but you know, I wish you and your family well during COVID. Stay safe. You. you too. Uh, don't forget to hit subscribe and do a little bell, and we'll see you guys next time. Stay calm and geek out. Good night, everybody. Thanks.